This is Pulse 95. You're listening to the Life Beats podcast. Life Beats, Life Beats. with Sally Musa only on Pulse 95. Brought to you by Albait Resort, a renovation of style in the heart of Sharjah. Yes, welcome back to the second hour of Life Beats. And we are going to be getting stuck into the second episode of The Page Turner in just a couple of moments with Iman Bensheba, CEO of Sale Publishing and Editor-in-Chief of Sale Magazine. We're going to be talking some of her favorite authors and the ideas which have become life-changing for millions, including shame and vulnerability. How are they the cornerstones of courage? This is according, uh, of course, to Dr. Brene Brown and the transformational ripple effect of Tuesdays with Maury, another very, very famous book as well. Plus, we're going to be asking if Sheryl Sandberg's idea for women to lean in was just a myth. And we're going to be taking a look at Don Miguel Ruiz's The Four Agreements, a practical guide to personal freedom. All of that and more is coming up this hour on Life Beats on Pulse 95. The heart of Shaja. This is Pulse 95. It's the page turner. The page turner on Life Beats with Sally Musa and special guests celebrating Sharjah, the 2019 World Book Capital. Yes, that's right. It is the page turner right here on Life Beats. And my very special guest today is none other than Iman Bensheba. Iman, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So glad to have you back here in the studios at Pulse95. And of course, um, very hot on the heels of your appointment as the Vice President of the Emirates Publishers Association. Mabrook. Thank you so much. Congratulations. I think uh, we need a little bit of this. <laughs> okay then. <laughs> Just to kind of make it official. Thank you. <laughs> Does it feel official now? A little bit too much, yeah. <laughs> but you know, some people might not know about the Emirates Publishers Association. So give us a little bit of background about what it is, what it does, why this is actually so important. All right. So the Emirates Publisher Association has uh, was started about 10 years ago in 2009, and it was started by Sheikh Abdul Al Qasimi. Um, and at that time, um, it, it, it only included about 13 members uh, of the very few publishers at the time that were established and so on. And the purpose of the association, obviously, is to try to bring all the publishers together and try to see what are the changes that are required to improve in the industry and who do we have to talk with in terms of different legislators and so on to help with, them, with, with making it a bit better. Um, across the time, obviously, every two years, a new board is voted in and selected. Um, so now, this year, we've celebrated actually for the 10th year anniversary for the uh, association. Um, the last round of board was head by Sheikh Abdul Qasimi and the VP was Mr. Ali Ali. And it included other people like Ali bin Hatem, Hamel Dikhin and uh, Nuh al-Hammadi. So uh, in the last round, like they have done an incredible amount of milestones for the publishing industry, which we've all been trying to advocate for, such as um, waiving off the fees, like having an agreement with the Ministry of Culture and waiving off the fees of ISBN, which is a fee every book that we publish as publishers, we have to pay a fee for for the Ministry of Culture. Uh, so they've, w- they've worked in waiving that off. 
Um, they've developed something called Manasa, which obviously translates into platform, uh, in which the publisher association would join in different book fairs across the world, and they would have a bigger platform just to display the books of the publishers who cannot join that pub, uh, book fair and get them sold there as well. So it kind of helps all the publishers, even the ones who can't make it to those book fairs. Um, they've as well created something called the Collective Stand, in which it was inaugurated in London Book Fair this year, um, where they have as well a bigger stand and they had like a section for every publisher so that they can actually have their meetings there to sell book rights and so on. So it has been very interesting in the sense that um, different legislations, different lobbying for things to really improve the uh, publisher's life in the country. And you, as uh, particularly as CEO of Sale Publishing as well, you know, what does that mean for you, for the authors that you publish? Um, I think it's it's a bit interesting that it's not really just for sale that's going to be better. So it's more than anything, it's we are the new board, like five members, and uh, we get obviously already right now requests or recommendations and suggestions from different publishers from the UAE who are asking, for instance, can you please get help us get this done or can, we have this problem and so on. So it's kind of trying collectively to improve the industry and because obviously we're on the board so we would have a bit better chance to talk with decision makers and so on. Well, we're incredibly excited to see what's going to happen. I'm so, excited as well. Um, we're going to be hopefully getting regular updates from yes, you ma'am. on <laughs> things that are happening, which is brilliant. Uh, but I'm just loving the authors that you have decided that we want to delve into today with mm-hmm. you. Um, because this is all about, you know, celebrating the books, celebrating the authors and the ideas that they bring that make our life richer. And quite frankly, in this segment, it's fast becoming one of my favorite segments because of what I discover. So let's kick it off. Mm-hmm. You know, your first pick is somebody that I've recently discovered as well, Dr. Brene Brown. Love her with all my heart. Um, so we've just discussed about her before we get on air. And um, I've discovered Brene Brown about maybe three, four years ago. And obviously it was because of the TED Talks that were around. And she has two main TED Talks, one on TEDx Houston and one of the main TED Global. And and she talks in it about shame and vulnerability. And those are interesting topics because she actually has her PhD on shame and vulnerability, which kind of like when I was telling my mom about it the other day, she's like, she actually did her PhD in that. And I'm like, yeah, it's really important. And like the, the kind of results and findings that she keeps sharing in her books and in her talks are just mind-blowing to all of us. Um, so the first book I've read for her about three years ago was uh, I Thought It Was Just Me. And it talks about all the kind of things that our community and our society shames us on it and we would end up automatically feeling very bad about it and we think wrong about ourselves and we think less of ourselves and then how understanding shame and the different triggers of it and the different symptoms that shows on us physiologically and biologically and emotionally and how to deal with it all that has been tremendously helpful in my life because it's incredible the the, the thing about it is we think that shame um particularly if you're arab it's it's central to our culture as arabs right (laughs) but then when she speaks about it as a woman a white woman from texas um, in the U.S., and she talks about how it, it completely, you know, it, it overtakes everything in our lives. You realize that this is a very human thing and global, global yeah. thing that everybody goes through. For you, kind of, how 
did it manifest for you in your life? So, um, what the the current book that I'm reading right now, I'm actually I'm listening to an audiobook is um, Daring Greatly, and she kind of talks about how specifically when you are in a creative industry that you associate who you are with the product that you're making. So only at that time did I realize what was happening to me the past few years. So before I start sale publishing, I was in the IT sector. So I've worked in the IT sector for about 10 years. And obviously, it's a very direct sector, like one plus one is two, there's no room for emotions, you're doing projects, everything's technical, everything's straightforward. And then I jumped into the creative industry where there's so much, and now I have the term words, the keywords for it, vulnerability out there like I'm putting so much out of my heart and who I am into it and so much of my writers and my authors and my columnists and my artists they're all putting their heart out there so it's a very emotional and personal thing for us so any moment that anything was attacked it just it felt very personal that we couldn't separate who we are from what we were doing so with her work and I was reading about it and so on it kind of finally makes me understand like okay it's okay to be attacked, but you need to understand what is it. And you need to be very conscious about people trying to shame you, whether for things they are feeling less about or they feel like bad for not having done it. And then they see someone who's doing it. So they have to make you smaller so that they can feel bigger about themselves. Exactly. Especially for you starting a sale magazine. Um, this was a new thing in mm-hmm. English for people, you know, who are English speaking, who are non-Emiratis to understand more yeah. about this incredible country, its people as well. Um, we've got a clip here. This is uh, from Brene Brown herself talking to uh, Oprah on the uh, Super Soul Sunday. Uh, and she talks about how that title of that book mm. came about daring greatly it, yeah. and it happened straight after she did her very first ted talk which uh, she wasn't expecting to go viral it's now got almost 40 million views wow. uh but at the time uh she did it uh this is what happened it was born of the ted talk and it was born of just a dozen years of vulnerability research uh-huh. and the title itself was a very personal moment in yes. my life. Yeah. The Theodore Roosevelt quote? Theodore Roosevelt quote. Yes. I had done TED and I was everywhere all of a sudden for the first time. Um, I was on CNN.com. I was doing NPR interviews. And my therapist tells me, don't read the comments. My husband says, don't read the comments. But I read the comments. Oh, no. Right. Oh. So one day I was reading the comments and I was devastated. And they were comments like, of course she's embracing imperfection. If you were Brene Brown, you'd have to. What choice would you have? Oh. Or less research, more Botox. Or oh. maybe you'll be worthy in 20 pounds. Oh. I mean, these kind of, and they're anonymous, which is yes. such yeah, 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 yeah. chicken. So I send Steve to work and I send the kids to school. Your husband, Steve. It's my husband, Steve. And I stay in my pajamas and I sit down on the couch and I watch about 10 hours of Downton Abbey reruns and just numb myself out. I ate some peanut butter. I'm just sad. And when it was because oh, you read the comments, because I read the comments, and I was like, "This is not worth it, man. This is I'm, I'm not doing this anymore. I can't." Were these comments posted on the TED Talk? No, no, they were. That's very curated, which I really appreciate. Yeah, you know, these were like anonymous on news websites. Oh, I know. Right, those are the worst. Like the cesspool of humanity. Yes, right. Yeah, those are the worst. Right. Yeah. So, I'm done with the Downton Abbey, and I'm like, I don't want to go back to my world where all that hurt is. So I get out my laptop and I start Googling like, well, what was happening in the U.S. during the Downton Abbey period? And Theodore Roosevelt's quote comes up. 
because he, yes. So I read it and it says, it's not the critic who counts. It's not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit goes to the man who's actually in the arena, mm. whose face is marred with dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly and who errs and fails and is sometimes victorious. But when he fails, at least he does so daring greatly. And it changed my life that moment. You know how when you hear something and you're ready? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And three things happened to me in that moment. The first was, that is who I wanna be. I wanna be courageous. I wanna be daring. You wanna be the man in the arena. I wanna be in the arena. Yeah. The second thing is, oh my gosh, this is everything I've ever learned about vulnerability. Yes. It's not winning, it's not losing. It's showing up and being seen. And the third thing, which was really helpful for me, is from that second, that millisecond forward, uh -huh. I made a commitment that if you are not in the arena getting your butt kicked on occasion, yeah. I'm not interested in your feedback. Whoa, I love that. Period. Yeah, yeah. And anonymous comments, you're not in the arena, man. You're not in the arena. Put your name on it, own it. If you got something constructive to say, own it and put it in there. Yeah, yeah. say that to me If you person. can't say it in front of me in person, yeah. in front of my kids, don't say it. And if you can say it to me in person in front of my kids, duck. Duck. <laughs> I love that. Be like. <laughs> if you can say it yeah. to me, then you better learn how to duck. Just incredible. Mm -hmm. That you know that moment. It's like it's, again, you know how everything just aligned in that one moment. That quote comes up. Um, it's just unbelievable. You know, it, it, really, we've heard it said so many times before. It doesn't matter. What matters is that you go in and you try. Um, but it's kind of like, you know, the way that she has brought in, you know, that whole idea of courage and vulnerability and shame and just put them together and said, actually, you cannot be courageous without exposing yourself mm -hmm. to vulnerability and shame. And vulnerability is so hard. Oh, my gosh. So hard. So, so hard. Absolutely. And, and it's what stops a lot of us from being better and bigger you know she talks about playing small mm -hmm. exactly exactly we keep like shying away we don't want to put ourselves out there because god forbid someone's gonna attack us and then the best way not to get attacked is to stay away and you know in your own bubble and never let your work stand out and always make it smaller because that's the best way not to get attacked and so on but the beauty is when you put it out there it's so hard i understand and but the moment you put it out there and the moment you let people see it, the moment the amount of acknowledgement that you get from people who are worthy makes you feel so much better about yourselves. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, just kind of saying, um, you know, I'm not going to accept any criticism from people who are not also putting themselves out exactly. there. Exactly. That's a big one. It's like, you know, have you tried doing that? If you did not, then don't come and tell me and preach about my, how I'm supposed to be doing it. Because by all means, come and do it yourself. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. It, it's, you know, it's one of those things, so many aha moments, because we do it un unconsciously, you know, this whole playing small thing. Mm -hmm. We can be doing it without realizing it. And then suddenly when she says that, you just kind of go, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's actually, I've just been doing that. Like, I've, how I've dare you? I've been doing that yeah, yeah. for I don't know how long or whatever. And, and you just kind of go, wow. Wow. Mm -hmm. So many wow moments. What are you currently reading of hers? Uh, Daring Greatly. Daring Greatly. Oh, so damn Because there are, there are five books I think, um, yeah. of hers that are out at the moment. Uh, there's Daring Greatly, Dare to Lead, yeah. 
Um, um, what the first one uh, I thought is just me. Yes. Uh, the gifts of imperfection, and then there is rising strong, mm. and then there are the gifts of wilderness, and there is a one that she's now co-authoring with Melinda Gates. So. Oh, sorry. and there, not to mention the books are only on audio, like Power of Vulnerability, and it's amazing, amazing, amazing. You just have to listen to it. We have to make sure that we include everything right? here, <laughs> include the audio books as well, because yeah, very special kind of editions are released only on audio book as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and she is a very powerful speaker. She's incredible. If you haven't seen her, check out the Netflix special as well. But we want you—you you, got to get into the books too. It's absolutely. Incredible, absolutely amazing. Uh, coming up next, we're going to be uh, moving on to to another author, Cheryl Sandberg, and her Lean In book. This is mm-hmm. one that you've chosen as well. I'm yep. going to ask you, Iman, is it just a myth, this whole Lean In thing? We're going to discuss oh. that next mm. right here on Life Beats on Pulse95. You're listening to Pulse95. Pulse95. This is Pulse95. Pulse95. Keeping it local, all day, every day. It's the Page Turner. The Page Turner on Life Beats with Sally Musa and special guests celebrating Sharjah, the 2019 World Book Capital. Yes, uh, we are talking books here with Imam Ben Sheba. And Iman, you've chosen Cheryl Sandberg's Lean In mm-hmm. uh, as uh, one of the books that really stands out for you. Tell me about why that is. So I've read the book about um, maybe seven years ago or mm. about that. So yeah, I think it's it about... came out. Exactly, yeah. when it first came out. And it was interesting because at that time I used to work in private sector. Um, and I was in a male-dominated sector, the IT sector, and so on. So obviously, I might have I might have had gone through certain problems, but I didn't know about them being problems because I didn't know any other way of doing things. Um, so it was interesting to see some points that were mentioned in. So the first very important point that was mentioned in by Cheryl was some study that was done by Harvard, uh, and it was talking about certain behavior done by women that are managers and the same exact behavior, sentences, phrases being used by a man manager and how automatically people would actually perceive the woman as bossy, uh, arrogant, um, like uh, undeserving and pretentious, and the same exact sentence perceived by a man as authoritative, authoritative, um, assertive, uh, professional, knows what they're doing. So it's it kind of opened the eyes for me to realize that, oh my God, so when people were attacking me for doing something, I started to open my eyes to see when my male colleagues do it, do they get the same attack or not? And I realized that a lot of times it's not because I was doing something wrong or I was saying something wrong. It was just because that perception that you're a woman, how come you are taking the lead in a very male-dominated field as well? Um, So unfortunately for me, it kind of made me feel like, okay, we have to do that silly pursuit of likability. And every time that we have to say anything, you gotta have to sugarcoat it right and below and above and, and everything. Like, can you please do this? Because as opposed to if my colleague, who is a guy, his team, he never has to say please or can you. He just says it as it is. I need this to be done on my desk by so and so. And it would never be perceived as something wrong. But if I do that, they would just give me a look. It's like, what's wrong with you? Yeah. I'm like, what the Why hell? Why are you bossing me around? <laughs> yeah. But it's, it, it kind of goes back to that whole day idea that we've just been discussing with uh, Dr. Brene Brown mm. um, of shaming women yeah, for absolutely. just even standing out. 
because if you become a leader, you stand out and, um, you know, you need to kind of be behind and modest mm. and kind of quiet and not take up too much space. God forbid you do that. Right. <laughs> so, you know, that's where the idea, again, of shame comes in. Mm. But um, I find it interesting, though, as well, in terms of um, the criticism mm. that Sheryl Sandberg's book has come under. Um, there are those who say, well, actually, leaning in is not... Um, the answer. Uh, so earlier this year, you had the Academy of Management article that challenged several contentions from the book. For instance, women don't leave before they leave. That's one of the quotes from her book, um, saying that, in fact, they typically work harder to stay in the workforce and unintentionally burn out because mm. of that. But we've just discussed this and, and I've seen examples of both ways. So mm. obviously you and me, we've we've worked over hard in what we're doing and we, bur- we, we experience burnout all the time. Uh, and I think now it's just a matter of acknowledging what it is and we, we pay better attention to that. But I've also seen in my career some women who acknowledge that this is the years that they should be getting married. So they would turn down a promotion or work less because they don't want to they don't want to put that number of hours so that at the time if they do get married their husband won't like it them being away at work all the time or that if they get pregnant then they need less time because they want to focus on their kids i'm like but honey you're not even engaged yet what are you talking why are you pulling out before you're pulling out um so i've seen that so mm-hmm. yes she in the book she talks about both things she talks about but she can't you can't expect one book to explain everything so on the other side you've got ariana huffington talking about the burnout and overworking and how you shouldn't be doing it so you can't expect one book to say it all so she's trying to focus on women when they pull out because that's the society expectation mm-hmm. and one of the things that we were discussing off air was that the amount of criticism I used to get when I used to work hard at work. So I used to get one of the comments that used to come to me was like, why are you working so hard? You're an Emirati woman. You don't need this. I'm like, um, excuse me, what? <laughs> why would you think that every Emirati house has an oil well at their backyard or that we're all rich? We're working because first of all, yes, I do need to work. Second of all, I've studied so hard in a very important major. Of course, I'm going to work hard and contribute to my country. So it doesn't make sense, that kind of accusation. accusation. And I've also heard a comment that was from someone during my years of studying my master's and working hard, where someone was saying, oh, why are you wasting your time doing your master's and working on those projects very hard? You should you should be focusing on creating a community and like actually building a family and getting married. I'm like, um, excuse me. Whoa. So we we do get those attacks. And reading that book, Lean In, came at a time where I was getting those attacks, and it kind of helped me understand those attacks are not specific to our community; that they are across and worldwide, and helped me deal with it better. I love it. Mm-hmm. Okay, we are talking. Uh lean in i'm going to come back in just a moment and just kind of um ask a little bit as well what else do we need to see change so that we can see change for women but we're also going to be talking about tuesdays with maury i love that book one of the most amazing books Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. uh of course with mitch album more to come after this talk about radio it's pulse 95 it's the page turner the page turner on Life Beats with Sally Musa and special guests celebrating Sharjah, the 2019 World Book Capital. Pulse 95. Yeah, discussing uh, Cheryl Sandberg's lean in and, and kind of one of the questions, I guess, um, Iman, is is it enough just to lean in or do we need to see more going on? 
you know, that's been a little bit of of the criticism as well. Um, she says that you need to be authentic, whereas we see in studies that are done that actually women of, women of color, if they are quote unquote authentic, who they are, um, they're actually kind of sidelined even more and almost punished for it. So. Mm. I think in general, it's a whole cultural change that we're trying to aspire for. Mm. Um, whether it is in terms of the women women of color, whether it is the gender biases, and I think a lot it has to do with us, first of all, pointing out when people shame others for something that they're not. So, for instance, um, when someone shames a, a woman for speaking up, you got to say, it's like, wh- why would you have felt the same if a guy had said that? And, and a lot of them would say, no, that has nothing to do with it. It's like, no, no, no. Let us really work on trying to remember something because a lot of that's that's the thing about unconscious bias is that the people who are perpetrating it, they never realize they're doing it. They never realize what's the reason in their subconscious that's causing them to do that. So we really have to bring it to light and make them see it so that they can stop doing that. The same thing that comes for different nationalities, different genders and so on. And I think a lot of the work has to be done from a very young age where we start to raise boys and make them understand that they are equal to girls, that we have to stop saying, you can do this, but honey, no, you might, you're you a little girl, you can't do that. No, you have to really start yeah, with the, the boys equality. boys are allowed to do whatever they want. Exactly. Yeah. And different rules goes on them, different responsibilities goes on them. Uh, they get a lot more privilege for much less responsibilities. Um, so I think that has under... That has kind of harm them more than help them really and I think that's what we really have to work out we do for sure Mm -hmm. but let's move on to um, a favorite uh, of many many millions of people all around the world incredible book (laughs) Tuesdays with Maury yep talk to me about this so I've read that book about 10 years ago I think actually more Um, I've read it the moment I started work I think and it was very interesting. So it's obviously, let's just talk first about the book. So uh, um, Tuesdays with Maury, it's a book about Mitch Album, who um, had a professor in college who used to give him so much attention, used to mentor him and so on. After he graduated, he went into his corporate world, started to become a sports commentator and so on and got busy with his life. And then years later, he sees his professor on TV uh, being interviewed and very sick and can't barely move so he decides to you know what i'm just gonna go visit him and like have one for the old times and when the moment the professor sees him it's that kind of whole emotional waterfalls and water for water uh, fireworks that happen and he tells him it's like i'm so happy that you come back again and let's make it again like we used to do in university where you have that one tuesday like a tuesday of, of every week we actually have our office hour let's do that again let's meet every tuesday and actually discuss a topic of life and record it and write about me so it was kind of challenging for him because of all his commitments but he actually go ahead and does that so every week they would discuss something that's very uh, profound like life um, love uh, family uh, friendships uh, death everything and it talks about it in such a profound way that makes you all relate to it's pretty incredible this is Mitch himself talking about that process of uh, when he saw his professor dying and um, what he eventually learned from him I watched as other people came to visit Maury. I wasn't the only one, and other people came in, but it always seemed after he'd been on television on the Nightline program that people were kind of nervous. There were people who really didn't know him very well, and they'd they'd come with kind of a philosophy about how to talk to someone who was dying. And they'd stand outside his room, and they'd say, okay, 
I'm going to tell them funny stories, show them pictures, nothing sad, nothing sad, nothing sad. They have this whole, you know, approach. And then they'd go into his office, the door would close, and they'd come out an hour later in tears. But they'd be crying about their divorce, their love life, their job, their problems. And they say, well, I don't know what happened. I went in to try to cheer him up, and I started talking to him. But after about five minutes, he started asking me about my life. And I started telling him. He started asking me more. I started really telling him. The next thing I know, I was telling him everything. And I went in to try to comfort him, and I ended up being comforted by him. And I watched this happen, folks, so many times that finally I went in to Maury, and I said, I don't get it. If ever anyone has finally earned the right to say, Let's not talk about your problems. Let's talk about my problems. It will be you. If ever anyone has earned the sentence you think you got it bad, look at me. I can't move. I need someone to carry me from place to place to wipe my rear end, to wipe my tears, to turn my head so I can look at you. You've hit the mother load of sympathy here, Maury. Why don't you take advantage? And he looked at me as if I just stepped out of a spaceship. And he said, Mitch, why would I ever take from people like that? Taking just makes me feel like I'm dying. Giving makes me feel like I'm living. Giving makes me feel like I'm living. It is a profound little sentence. Incredible. Mm -hmm. That's it. Yeah. He just gave everybody that came across him. He was just, you know, it's incredible. I don't know. What is it that makes some people like that and and others who, you know, they need that sympathy. They need that kind of inward um, for others to give them more. It's just, you know, it's incredible to see that example. It's not easy, you know. Like, for instance, one of the things that he was saying throughout the book is that when anyone would come and sit with Maury, he would give them full attention and like would make you feel like you're the center of the world and talks with you like nothing else is happening around and and would listen to every problem you have and would give you that kind of full empathy and it's hard because it means that you have to engage it means that you have to feel whatever that person is feeling and you have to bring out all your empathy in and it's if you're not in it, if you're distracted by different things, and if you think your problems are bigger than that, you will never be able to give that. So I think it takes a whole level of um, understanding, humility, um, empathy, vulnerability as well to actually do that. What What's really interesting is, you know, in this particular speech, um, Mitch talks about the fact that he asked him to still come back after he was dead, mm. right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, he said to him, but you're not going to be able to respond. And he's like, well, that's fine. You talk and I will listen. Mm -hmm. And that is just unbelievable. You know, that's that's that moment where you just go, what? And 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 then he says, you know, Mitch says, we, we can do that in our everyday lives every day with the people that we know and love. Mm -hmm. Because if somebody wants to call you and they're biting your ear off and, you know, they've got their problems and whatever, if you just listen... If you just listen to what they have to say, mm. you don't even have to offer an, a solution sometimes. Exactly, exactly. Just to be there and to listen. To feel heard. That's all what matters. To feel heard. Exactly. Yeah. And it's just, it's one of the most profound, profound lessons. Yeah. Absolutely incredible book and a classic, of course, um, one that everybody has to read. Uh, but coming up next, we're going to be talking about Don Miguel Ruiz, Don Miguel Ruiz and the Four Agreements. And the Four Agreements. That is next on Life Beats on Pulse95. You're listening to
It's the page turner. The page turner on Life Beats with Sally Musa and special guests celebrating Sharjah, the 2019 World Book Capital. Pulse 95. Yes, welcome back, and it is uh, time to be discussing uh, this amazing book by Don Miguel Ruiz, The Four Agreements, Iman. This mm-hmm. is another one that you have chosen. Talk to us about this one. So I've read this book when I was back in college. Obviously, it was recommended by Oprah on her show. Obviously. Because, you know, <laughs> we're, the, we're the Oprah generation. Um, and they talked about the book and so on. So I felt like, okay, fine, let's let's go ahead and read it. So the main four agreements in the book that are the agreements that you have to have as your, like, your whole Bible in life. This is how you should operate in your life. Mm-hmm. And they're very generic. Everyone can relate to. So the four agreements are be impeccable with your word. Don't take anything personal. Don't make assumptions and always do your best. So we've discussed this off air. So the first one was be impeccable with your word. And that mean in the sense that Never say something just to fill the space without really meaning it. And I think a lot of times we have that in our society where we would say things that we don't necessarily mean and people don't get that you don't mean that. And then they go far and beyond trying to help you or to sort it or basically act on what you've said. And then they realize that you didn't really mean it. Like, why didn't you invite me in so and so or... Um, I think uh, today you're doing a bad job just because they they thought it was funny to say, but people don't get it. I'm not in your head. I don't get what you think is funny, and I honestly do not think that is funny. So why would you say it? Because I would internalize it. So a lot of times people say things that they don't mean, and it's about having the integrity with your word. And I try to always say it around, it's like, did you really mean it? Why are you saying something that you don't mean? And it's hard because... We forget as well. It's so easy sometimes to get caught up in gossip, things like gossip, you know, talking about someone behind their back or, Mm -hmm. you know, making a a comment that you really think isn't going to get back to somebody. But it doesn't matter. You know, that that is part of being impeccable with your word. Exactly. Also, you know, when we're parents as well and the way that we speak to our children sometimes Mm -hmm. when we've just had enough and you're just like, you know, you would say something that you just don't mean, like, you know, shut up, you know, you are so loud, you are so this and whatever. You you, you have to stop and just really kind of, you know, get a hold of yourself. And it's hard, it's hard. Like, it's I understand really that it's very hard for parents in a moment that you're completely angry to, to not lash out on the child. But the problem is kids don't know what having a hard day means. They don't know what it means when you are completely exhausted by something else and you're lashing at them. They won't understand that it has nothing to do with them and they would just literally believe every word you've said because your mom, your dad, obviously you'll never lie to me. Mm. So, and yeah. kind of coming off that as well is don't take, things, don't take things personally. Exactly, which is the other way of things, right? So it's like I want to make sure that I am impeccable with my words, that I have the integrity towards everything I've said. But I can't expect everyone to be that. So I need to always remember that not to take things personal when it's being said by other people. Whether I need to remember that, okay, that person does that to everyone. So it's not only me. It's not something I've done to deserve that. That person is always that way. Or that person have gone through a bad day. So let's not take it personal and think that they really are angry with me or something. Exactly. And it's not easy. It's, it's really not easy. It, it's two sides of the same coin. 
because obviously we can only change one person and that's ourselves. Mm-hmm. So we've got to take care of that, which is the the, the first agreement. Um, but at the same time, that can be really difficult if you're somebody who is sensitive and, you know, that reminder of it's about them. It's not about you. Mm-hmm. The way that somebody acts has a lot to do with who they are. And it's not absolutely. you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the third the one. The third one was don't make assumptions. I love this one. <laughs> we're all guilty of because, and we've just remembered the Brene Brown story. Um, and we are all guilty of this making assumptions where we see something and there's so many gaps in the story. And for our brain to make sense out of it, we fill it out with assumptions from our side. And a lot of times we make up stories and believe in them and act on them when they're not even half true. So, for instance, someone has... I I don't know, do you want to mention the Brene... I I don't think the Brene Brown story is actually very long, that one. But, for instance, when you have a fight with someone because they have had a bad day, but you don't know about it, so you just make an assumption that, oh my God, that person just hates me, and this is the end of that relationship, and how are we going to end it? And Especially if it happens online. Especially if it happens on, like, a WhatsApp or something. You're WhatsApping somebody. And they're just having just a bad week Mm -hmm. or something's going on and you maybe haven't spoken to them in in a while or whatever. And suddenly you just catch them out and you don't realize and they're really abrupt in Mm -hmm. their message. And you're like, oh, okay. What's going on? What what does that mean? Because, you know, that's what we do. Our brains have to make up a story. You know, like fill the space. Like Brene says, (laughs) we keep coming back to her because, you know, really it's what we do. It's our brain has to create a story for us to make sense of what's going on Mm -hmm. in this situation. And sometimes it will go straight to what's negative and mm. what's easiest or, you know, Absolutely. the easiest explanation when actually it could be something completely different. A lot of times it's interesting how you can sit down with a person and tell them, I know you don't want to talk about it, but this is what I'm thinking that is the situation and is the scenario. Can you just let me know if it is what it is or is it something else? And most of the times it's something completely different from what's the story in your head is telling you yes yeah. exactly and the last one is don't uh, what is the last one always uh, do your best always do your best and so important because when you do half your best you'll always have regrets you'll always think you haven't given it all what if i've done this what if i've done that and what if will always eat you up so always doing your best and doing everything you can and doing every opportunity and trying to take every single action that was possible so at the end when it's over and even if it doesn't work out you know you've given it your all and you have no regrets no what ifs no what if i've done this or that get into the arena yep Exactly. Get in the arena. <laughs> Get into the arena. Give it your best. It doesn't matter if you win and or dare lose. Greatly. You've got to dare greatly. Yeah. Iman, what a joy. Thank you. To have you on the page turner here on Life Beats on Pulse 95. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's I'm, always a pleasure. I'm really. looking forward to the next time you come Definitely. on. Brilliant, Definitely. brilliant authors and brilliant books. That's it for us today on Life Beats. We're going to be back again with you tomorrow from 10 a.m. Have a fantastic day. This is Pulse 95. Tune in live every weekday from 10am.